I do want to start with a quick apology. Uh, I was at a basketball tournament yesterday for about 10 hours, and I was really good about being controlled and not yelling until the last minute of regulation. Uh, our team came back and won in overtime, uh, and I started screaming. So I have just about lost my voice. So I apologize for that, but... Derek will make up for it up in the sound booth, so it'll be okay. Hey, I got a question for you this morning. Does God still heal? We know that in biblical times, healings took place often, but do they still happen today? Not to oversimplify this, but there are primarily two groups of people who would ask this question. There are others, but this covers the majority who would ask, does God still heal? On the one hand, we have those who simply want to understand healing from a theological perspective. In fact, there is a debate that has raged for many, many years as to whether or not the same gifts that were available in the New Testament are still available to humanity today. It is the idea that as the apostles died out, so did the apostolic gifts in other words, individuals like Paul could heal or raise individuals from the dead. And there are those who believe that those gifts, those abilities no longer exist, that they died out with those disciples, those apostles. So some are asking the question, does God heal out of a theological curiosity? Now, I will say that this also would include a group that would be those who would still question whether God is real in the first place. They are looking for a sign. And in our midweek Bible study this week, Lee Hedden, who is doing a great job, shared from John chapter 2 where Jesus' first miracle took place. In it, she correctly pointed out that John does not refer to this as a miracle, but rather a sign. Some would say that Jesus performed many signs. Others would say he performed many miracles. Which one is correct? Actually, I guess they both are, depending on your perspective. A miracle is a spectacular act or event that defies natural law. It's what seems impossible, but somehow it becomes possible. And the only downside with a miracle is that at times we, be, we can become so fixated on the miracle that we no longer look to the miracle maker. A sign, on the other hand, serves to intentionally point you to something or to someone else. For example, can you imagine me showing you my family pictures from a trip to Disney? As exciting as these pictures may be on the TVs behind me, the reality is they don't actually show you Disney. They're only signs that point the way. What if I said to my kids, yes, we saw the sign. Let's go home, kids. Do you think that they would be okay with that? Or do you think that they actually want to see what the signs are pointing to? The signs that Jesus performed, as John called them, were intended to point people to God and to verify that Jesus truly was that God. Sim similarly, the miraculous works that God chooses to do today 
may seem very impressive, but they are not intended to be what we focus on. They are signs that should serve to confirm that first of all, we are on the right track and also to point us to the reality of who God is, for he is still a good, gracious, and loving God. But perhaps the bigger question of God's healing capability comes not just from those who are looking for theological answers, but those who are in need of such healing, or perhaps even for their loved ones. We've got nagging ailments. We've got a horrible medical diagnosis. We've got finances that are in ruin. We've got relationships that are dying. We've got things that seem impossible for us to fix on our own. And often as we reach these points of desperation, we recognize that the only place that's left for us to turn is to Jesus. And we wonder, does God still heal? And if he does, why don't we see it more frequently? Our scripture passage is one that I had Jared read earlier, addresses a man who knew such desperation. It's from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. I'm not going to read it all again to you now as you've already heard it read. John chapter 5 tells of a man who knew incredible desperation. He was paralyzed by hopelessness. John tells us that the man had been an invalid for 38 years. And here he is camped out next to this pool day in and day out, hoping for the opportunity for healing. Can you imagine how hopeless this man must have felt? After 38 years, he likely doubted that his day would ever come. And although the passage doesn't tell us the frequency with which such healings would occur, it is likely that this man had seen many, many people come with their infirmities and walk away healed. Yet here he sits, still longing for healing. Hopelessness is a terribly dark place to be. So Jesus calls out to this man with a question. Do you want to be healed? This seems like a really dumb question, at least at first glance, but maybe it's not. I'm going to sound uncompassionate this morning. Please don't take it that way. You know, there are many who have had to deal with infirmities and weakness for so long that they have become a part of their own identity. We kind of like the attention that our infirmities bring. We like the notoriety that comes with our suffering. Some people even find comfort in feeling like a victim. But the reality is that not everybody longs to be identified by their suffering, but some do. I find it interesting that as Jesus asked a yes or no question, he never gets the yes or no answer. Instead, this man reveals the depths of his brokenness. Listen to what he says to Jesus. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. In this response, he touches on his loneliness and his frustration. 
I have no one to put me in the pool. Here I am. I sit here. I want to get in, but there's no one there to help me. You know, it's ironic. This guy is surrounded by multitudes of people needing a touch, but he is all alone. The reality is just because you've got someone sitting beside you, someone living in your house, someone working alongside you, it does not mean that you are not alone. In this individual's case, he is surrounded by people, yet he is all alone. Sometimes it's not the illness that bothers us most, but the loneliness. Feeling like no one understands what I'm going through, or even worse, nobody cares. I don't think that any of us have ever longed for suffering, but I encourage you that one of the best things that comes through suffering is the recognition of who is there for you during those worst times. This man, unfortunately, knows he has nobody. Now, maybe it didn't start out that way. 38 years is a long time. Maybe there was a time that he had individuals who would sit with him every day and walk this journey alongside him. But something has changed. They got tired of waiting. They went back to live their own lives. Yet this man now finds himself not only hopeless, but helpless. And the natural result is he finds himself almost trapped in self-pity. Remember, try not to get offended by what I'm saying here, my lack of compassion. I want you to recognize two things. First, I have known suffering just like many of you. I've had to deal with the loss of a child. I've had to deal with lingering pain from a ruptured disc in my back. And I've had other personal things that I try not to talk about too often. So it's not that I can't empathize with those who are hurting. But the second thing to consider is the endless cycle that this guy finds himself in. I'm all alone, but I see others who have people that are there to take care of them. And I see new people coming and they have infirmities, yet they're being healed and I get bypassed every single time. And can you imagine this guy saying, it's just not fair. But I want you to notice something about this man. He may have felt hopeless, and he may have struggled with self-pity, but he was still there. He lingered at this pool every day in hopes that today might be different than the day before. It hadn't come for the past 38 years, but maybe today would be the day. And it was on this day that this man would find healing but not the way that he anticipated the healing to come. This man came to the pool seeking healing, dependent upon luck, making sure that the timing was perfect and a good personal effort on his part. I don't pretend to fully understand the way things worked, but it seems that as soon as the waters of this, this pool of Bethesda were stirred, the first person into the water would be healed. It means that he had to be ready to jump in at a moment's notice, ready and eager. 
And he had to be quick, or at least quicker than the other guys around him. Because the first one in got it and everybody else didn't. On this day, this man would be healed by Jesus Christ. And his healing was not dependent upon luck or even good personal effort. Jesus doesn't offer some sort of incantation or put on some big show. In fact, I want you to notice it's probably the least effort that Jesus puts in to any healing. There were times he spit in the mud and he put it on people's eyes. There were times that he would reach out and he would touch someone. On this occasion, he merely speaks. He simply tells the man, get up, take your bed and go home. He showed this man incredible grace. And this grace is really important. Sometimes we think that God heals only those who deserve healing or those who have enough faith. In fact, I've heard that often within the church. But don't be mistaken into thinking that this was some sort of good, godly man who deserved healing. In fact, in just a few verses, Jesus will tell this man to go and sin no more which suggests that he was living a sinful lifestyle prior to his encounter with Jesus. In addition, he'll be asked, who was it that healed you? And he doesn't know the answer. Because as Jared read earlier, Jesus had sort of slipped into the crowd. And what that means is this man didn't even know to believe in Jesus. This man was not healed because he was somehow worthy or his faith was strong enough. He was simply healed because of God's grace. Before I go anywhere else, I need you to understand today that God's grace is far bigger than we could ever ask or imagine. And the truth is the same God who showed that kind of grace and all of this man's imperfections, that is the same God who reigns today. And this gets into the question of why God would choose to heal some and not others. In fact, even in our passage today, we are told that there are a multitude of people who would gather at this pool of Bethesda to seek healing. Yet we're only told of one that is healed that day. You do the math. There are multitudes of people that means at the end of the day, there was a multitude of people minus one that did not get healed. And the question that I would ask is why was one healed and not the others? I wish I had some profound answer to this question, but I really don't. What I do know is that God is bigger and wiser than I am when it comes to stuff like this. In fact, look at all the people around you. You got some really intelligent people that are here, some brilliant minds, people that I have great respect for. You could collectively put all of our minds together and it would still pale in comparison to the mind of God because God is greater than anything that we could ever imagine. He's the one who gave us all the knowledge and the information that's stored up in our, our, our brains to begin with. We cannot compare to him. So the reality is he knows better than we do 
Others have sought to explain this, but I'm not sure that any explanation changes this for me. It was John Wesley who said, if you speak in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, may not the words you speak be health to the soul and marrow to the bones. His point was that if you want to bring people healing, then you will need to bring them to Jesus. He goes on to say that whenever thou hast an opportunity, go about doing good and healing all that are oppressed of the devil, encouraging them to shake off his chains and fly immediately to him who sets the prisoners free and breaks the iron bondage from their necks. He certainly believed that there was power to heal the sick and the oppressed, and even that such power rested in the hands of God's people, the bride of Christ. James tells us that if we are sick, that we are, call, we are to call upon the elders of the church to lay hands on us and to pray that we may be healed. I have personally been able to lay hands on many people over the years praying for healing. I have absolutely seen some things that were no doubt miracles of God. But there have also been times that I have prayed over individuals and God did not answer the way I prayed. And I have naturally wondered why that is. Christine Crane is a writer who was diagnosed with cancer only to find healing in Jesus Christ. But it didn't happen overnight. And she reflected on God's healing in her life. She wrote this, why did I not get instantly healed? I don't know, but this I do know, Jesus has healed me. Sometimes God heals by a supernatural instantaneous miracle. Sometimes he heals by using doctors and medicine. Sometimes he takes us home and heals us there. Whichever way he chooses to do it is his business. He is God and I am not. He is sovereign and he will do whatever brings him the greatest glory. My job is simply to believe that he can and does heal today. God's job is to do the impossible. Man, she hit the nail on the head. I said it already, but I won't pretend to know why God chooses to heal some by a supernatural miracle or why he heals some with doctors and medicine or why he takes others home to heaven for an eternal healing. But what I will tell you is that he is always the one who knows what is best. I also know that we think what we know what is best, but we really don't. We see bits and pieces of the puzzle. And God says, yeah, but look at the big picture. It's so much more than what we recognize. I also know that regardless of whether Jesus chooses to heal my brokenness, he is my greatest hope, and he always will be. I want to move on from this for a moment. The next thing I want you to see is that this man who is healed by Christ, he is healed and in many ways, he is freed by obedience. The instructions which he receives and obeys are simple. They don't seem like a big deal. It's not like he's told to go and wash seven times 
in a body of water. You remember one of the prophets had done that previously with a man named Naaman. He doesn't give him a huge task. He simply tells him to get up, pick up his bed, and go home. But there was more to this simple piece of instruction. Although we know very little about this man, there are some things that we can gather. First, he's not a spring chicken. He's been an invalid now for 38 years. In addition, this pool, as confirmed by scripture and archaeology, sat near what is called the Sheep Gate. That means that he likely saw many journey through this gate. And regardless of whether he was Jewish by birth, he would have been very familiar with the Jewish laws of the Sabbath. These were certain, there were certain days that you didn't do anything that would be considered work. It was a day of rest. It was a day of worship. And as silly as it sounds, picking up your mat or picking up your bed and carrying it would have been a violation of the laws of the Sabbath, at least according to the way the Jewish leaders thought at that moment in time. You need to note that over the years, the law had been changed. Over the years, those who thought they were more religious and smarter than everybody else, they had magnified certain laws and they had diminished other laws. And what happened was there were things that were absolutely forbidden and somehow they became acceptable. And then there were other things that they were overemphasized to the point that it no longer even reflected the law which God gave. This man knew that if he picked up his mat, that he was going to be violating the law and somebody would likely be unhappy. So let's go back to the instruction Jesus gives him. Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. In this moment, this man has a choice to make. If he obeys, he could be in trouble for breaking the law. If he disobeys, he might not be healed. I suppose he could have asked Jesus to come back tomorrow. You know, today's the Sabbath. If he'd come back tomorrow, maybe we could do this and that wouldn't be a violation of the law. Do you think he was willing to ask that question? <laughs> not me. Imagine that you've been waiting for 38 years to be healed. If this Jesus comes and he tells you to get up, start doing cartwheels, would you do cartwheels? Absolutely. You would do whatever he told you to do, regardless of what anybody else thinks, because you know in that moment that he is your greatest hope. You're going to obey the one who can heal. There's one last thing that I want to point out to you this morning, and it's very important. This man is not just physically repaired. He is completely restored by Christ. God didn't just want to heal him physically. God wanted to give him a fresh start. The statement, go and sin no more, which he has given later, suggests that he wasn't the most righteous man in the world, yet God was offering him a second chance. Let me suggest to you today that God still desires to bring physical healing to those who are in need. But what God really wants is to see lives that are changed and made ready for eternity. Many, many years ago, some of you have already heard this story and just pretend it's the first time you heard it. I had an individual 
contacted me. It was a lady from our church. She said, I've got a, uh, I've got a nephew who has a rare disease. It's called amyloidosis. Doctors have given him two weeks to live. And I'm not sure if he knows the Lord. The guy's name was Rick. I went over to visit with he and his wife. He would inform me later that he almost canceled our get-together that day because he wasn't feeling well, and his wife told him, you're not feeling well on any day, so we're going to have him come anyways. I sat with them, and I didn't even talk about healing for the first half hour or so. We talked about Jesus and the work that God truly desired to do in Rick and Carol's life. Man, it was a great experience. At the end of that 25 minutes or so, I asked them if they would like to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they both responded with an absolute yes. Rick's response, he said, I don't know why I haven't done this already. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> we prayed and they both received Jesus. Then I shared with them that I believe that God is still a God who heals. And I also wanted the privilege to be able to pray over them for God's healing. I referenced the same verses from James where he tells us to lay hands on individuals who are sick that they may be healed. Then I laid hands on them and I prayed. I gotta tell you, I was a little bit disappointed. Sounds unspiritual, sorry, but I was. There's a part of me that wanted to see Rick jump up off the couch and to be healed in that very moment. This guy didn't have the strength to walk to his mailbox, didn't have the ability to sit in a driver's seat in a car. This man's muscles were deteriorating so quickly that basically the doctors have already given up hope. And I thought, man, if the Lord would move in this guy's life, it would be amazing. And after praying, I walked out of there almost disappointed. But what I didn't know was that God had begun a work of healing in Rick's life. Two years later, Rick would die from complications from the treatments that he had received before God healed him. He became a living testimony to every doctor and every nurse that he had walked with. And they would ask, how is this possible? Because the reality is people don't get better from amyloidosis. Once they have it, they die. But Rick got better. And what he did was he told everybody, Jesus is the one who healed me. I want you to notice what God did in Rick's situation. On the one hand, he did bring physical healing. And I will guarantee you that his family was impacted significantly. His children all became active parts of the church. His wife was dedicated to the, the church as much as he was. We saw God move in that family. It was fantastic. We saw individuals coming to Christ simply because of the testimony that he gave. They were grateful for the physical healing. But more than anything... There was a spiritual healing that took place. And as much as God wants to bring physical healing to people's lives, he is far more interested in healing the spiritual side of things. I wonder if there aren't some here this morning who are in need of an encounter with Jesus Christ through healing. 
I wonder if there aren't some here today who need Jesus to physically touch you. I wonder if some of you aren't in a need of some type of spiritual touch. The place to turn will always be Jesus. I could go on and on with examples of God's healing power, either biblical or from personal experience, but you get the point already. God can heal. He will not always heal in the way that we hope, but he is always the best option for you and for me. I'm going to ask everyone if you'd stand this morning. I'm going to open up the altar before we pray. I believe that we still serve a God who is able to heal. I am not telling you today that God is going to do everything that I ask. There have been things that I've asked for, and it has not happened. I would imagine I'm not the only one in the room who could say that. But I do believe that our God is able to heal. And he does call on us when we are broken to come before him and to seek his touch, to have others who will lay hands on us and to pray. I'm going to invite you, if you have a physical need today, maybe for you it's not physical, maybe it's a family that's fallen apart, maybe for you it's an addicted child or spouse, maybe for you it's some type of brokenness that we know nothing about. I want you to know that my God is able to do what I cannot do on my own. I'm going to invite you to come. Not only going to invite you to come, but maybe there are others who would like to come and to lay hands on you and pray. I want us to pray. I'm not going to play any music. I'm going to invite you to come at this time. If you feel the need to come forward, please come and we'll have a time of prayer. Father, we come before you today, and Lord, first of all, we are just grateful to know that we can call upon your name, and that you will be there to meet with us. Lord, I know that you desire good things for your people. That being said, sometimes we have to walk dark paths to get to those good things. So I thank you for the suffering that we have had to endure, if it has caused us to draw nearer to you. But Lord, I also pray that Perhaps some of the brokenness that we have experienced might become a tool that might proclaim the fact that you are still all-powerful. Lord, I pray today for each individual has come, the needs that are present. Some are dealing with physical issues. Some are dealing with relationships that are not what they ought to be. Some are dealing with loved ones who are hurting, struggling, living lives that, Lord, it breaks our heart. And Father, as we come before you right now, we ask that you would take our brokenness. I ask that you would take where there is a need for healing. Lord, I pray that you would turn this into an opportunity for us to give praise to you. You tell us in your word that we are to call upon you and to invite you to work miraculously in our lives. Lord, I pray today that we would experience your healing touch. Lord, I pray that as we 
gather around this altar, each individual with different needs. Lord, we may not know all the details of what needs to take place, but we know that you know exactly what needs to happen. So we pray right now that you would do what needs to be done. I pray for those who right now are preparing for surgery and pray that you would go before them, that you would allow the doctors and nurses to do their job in such a way that it was clearly you who was working on their behalf. But I pray for those who have had lingering pain and for years they've been fighting this battle and it seems as if it never goes away. But I pray that you would bring healing to them as well. Father, I pray for those who perhaps right now they are emotionally distraught because there are things that are just not right in their lives. Father, I pray today for your healing touch to rest upon them. Whatever the need is today, Father, I pray that your will would be done. I pray that you would help us to simply see these things that we're going through as your tool to bring you honor and glory. And we'll give you praise for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It is a blessing to know that we can come before the Lord with our every need. Again, he might not do it the way we ask him to, but we ought to ask. So... Thank y'all so much for being with us this morning. Y'all go in peace.